All right. Well, welcome. It's been a long time, old friend. It is, buddy. Bokatov. Uh, friend. Bokatov. Yeah, Bokatov. Yeah, Bokatov, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So that's uh, Hebrew for uh, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm so glad you're all here. Thrilled to have an opportunity to tag team again with Pastor Joel. It's been a while. So we've been working through this series called The Path. We've been working through the book of Proverbs. And it's no accident that we've called this series The Path. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of the path, at least 29 times in the book of Proverbs, Solomon continually comes back to this verbiage, this word, this idea that our life is on a path. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to put a few references up. Paul, I mean, excuse me, Solomon, as he talks about the path, he uh, sometimes talks about the path that we don't want to be on, like he did in Proverbs 1.15, where he says, my son, my daughter, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. So, so Solomon gives us warnings throughout the book of Proverbs. Like I said, 29 times he's talking about the path. That's almost one per chapter. Um, But he also gives us a sense of the paths that we do want to be on. Notice uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. So as we've studied the book of Proverbs, as we've worked through it so far, we've seen paths not to be on, we've seen paths to be on, and, and we've looked at even how to have a sense that we're on the right path. Of course, we talked about Proverbs 3, verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and who is him? Yes, God, that's right, or, or, or we would say, as New Testament Christians, we would say, Jesus, one and the same, God the Father, God the Son, uh, the same God, we would say, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And Solomon is continually giving us warnings about the kind of path we want to be on, but not as if it's some kind of passive thing. Like we just choose a path and that's the path we're on. We are actually making our path. Our behavior helps to create the path. Notice Proverbs 4.26. This is instruction. Solomon is saying, you, I want you to make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. So as we've been working through this series, we've talked about some key principles along the way. You Perhaps if you've been here for a couple weeks, you remember, remember the principle of the path, which says your, your direction determines your destination. It's the way you're going that decides where you end up. It's not where you want to go. It's not your hopes and your dreams. It's not in your genes. It's not in your bank account. It's your direction that ultimately determines your destination. This is kind of like a a law of the universe. It's hard to to navigate around this law. There's just just no way to break it. The way you're going is what's determining where you're ending up. And we've talked about another principle, uh, the principle of focus. And and, and we've touched on this a little bit. Let's see if, if you grabbed onto it. We said that your what determines your direction. We've kind of used two words interchangeably. Your direction determines your destination. What determines your direction? Your attention. Yeah, we've said your choices or your attention. We've used those interchangeably. The the choices that you make are what determines your attention. So when you come to a fork in the road, it's a choice as to which direction you're going to go. And then the path that you choose, the behavior that you act upon, 
that becomes what determines your direction. Now, it wasn't too long ago. I don't, I don't remember the year, to be honest. But it wasn't too long ago that all of the states in the union passed these no cell phone laws, right? Are you familiar with this? You're not supposed to be driving without some kind of, and talking on the phone without some kind of hands-free device, or you're not supposed to be driving and texting or checking Facebook. Are, are you familiar with this? Are you aware that this is a law? How many of you obey it? No, I'm kidding. Don't answer. I don't want to know. Now, why in the world would the government make laws about not using our cell phones while we're driving? I would suggest this principle. They understand that if you're driving down the road in a couple tons of steel and aluminum and plastic, and you take your attention off of the road, your path is going to go where your attention is, which means that your car could end up off the road, and you could end up in the hospital or worse. Or even worse yet, because your attention isn't on the road, you could go into oncoming traffic. And now it's not just you, but it's innocent drivers on the other side who were harmed. You see, this is, this is the notion, this is the idea that it's our attention that determines our direction. Now, we've known this for centuries. We knew this long before they put any cell phone laws into act, right? I mean, we just get this intrinsically. We get it. And even if we didn't understand it naturally, Solomon wrote it down like 3,000 years ago. So we have a cue from God that this is the case. The principle of focus, your attention determines your direction. Here is Solomon's. We're going to read this together. This is Solomon's statement about attention about our focus. Let's read this together off the screen or it's right here in the middle of your note sheet. I'm going to ask you to read this aloud and let's read it together. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So in other words, Solomon would say your direction determines your destination and it is your attitude or your attention, whatever holds your attention is what determines your direction. So it was about this time, maybe a little later in October in 1999, um, when I began to realize that my eyes were spending more time noticing a certain gorgeous brunette on campus. I mean, there were plenty of other girls on campus who captured my eyes and, you know, my palms would get sweaty when I'm around them and I would say even dumber stuff than usual when I got around them. But, but there was this one lass who was doing, it was just something different about the way I noticed her. We had been in the friend zone for about a year and a half or so and, and that was fine We're with both of us, but I began to notice that she was capturing my attention in a way that I wasn't prepared for. And I can still remember to this day the route that our walk took around the campus over at Bethel College in Mishawaka as I endeavored to find out if she had the same feelings. And it turns out she didn't. No, I'm kidding. She did and we're married now. <laughs> she did. Our attention, she had captured my attention and, and I had captured 
her attention. You know, it's a powerful thing when something or someone captures our attention. As a matter of fact, you may look, I don't know, I don't know what your story is. You may look at the person sitting next to you. If you're a teenager, you may look across the sanctuary and say, there's someone that captured my attention. And it could be a really good thing, right? But it can also be a really dangerous thing. I mean, if I don't miss my guess, you might say that in life there's been, there's been people or, or places or things that have captured your attention and it was great. But if I don't miss my guess, most of us would probably say, there's some things I wish wouldn't have captured my attention. I wish I never would have given that person a second thought. I wish I wouldn't have returned that voicemail or, or I wish I wouldn't have, uh, you know, tested the waters of that business opportunity. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your story is, but when something captures our attention, it can go incredibly well or it can be incredibly harmful. And, and, I, and I, wondered where you, I wonder where you're at. Can you look at something in your life that captured your attention and that altered the path that you were on and it turned out not to be for your benefit? It took you down a path you didn't want to go down. That looking back, you wish you could rewind and, and choose another path. And I don't know how that worked for you when your attention was captured. But, but again, if, if my streak holds here, my guess is that somewhere along the way, you had a conversation. I told you that Sarah and I walked around Bethel and we had a conversation. And, and my goal was to see if I had captured her attention the way that she had captured mine. And, and my guess is when, if you were to look back, you had a conversation. Maybe it wasn't with someone else. Maybe it, was, maybe it was with yourself. Maybe it was something like, wow, that looks incredible. Mm, maybe I shouldn't go there. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I should look and see if I should go there. Oh, nope, definitely shouldn't go there. Well, maybe I'll just get it out of my system and everything will be okay. I mean, I don't know what your conversation sounded like, but my guess is you can point to a time when your attention was captured, you did something to introduce reason and logic into it. You see, this is where the principle of choice, this is our third principle that this whole series is kind of built on. This is, this is where the principle of choice comes into play. That principle says you get to choose to what you pay attention. You get to choose to what you pay attention attention. Now, do you notice the shift I made there? We had been talking about those times when things capture our attention. But what I'm saying is you get to choose to what you pay attention. You see, here's the thing that I, I, I may be wrong about this, but here's what I think. The paths in life that are worth being on, that take us someplace where we want to go, that God wants us to go, those paths and the paths that pretend like they're good paths. You know, that, that, that wear really nice costumes and, and look like they're good paths, but ultimately take us somewhere we don't want to go. Those two kinds of paths, I think, have something in common. And that's that at the beginning, at the trailhead, at the pathhead, there's something there to capture our attention. It just reaches out and grabs us. I think both paths have that in common. It's not bad to have your attention captured. But we choose what path we're going to be on based on what we continue to allow to have our attention. 
based on what we choose to pay attention to. You see, emotions fuel the things that capture our attention. It, it, it just, it kind of hits us in the heart and, and takes our breath away and we're going, whoa, that's incredible. Emotions fuel what captures our attention, but intentionality fuels that to which we pay attention. That's a great point. That's a great sentence right there. You want me to say it again? Please say that again. What did I say? Intention. It, oh, yeah. Intentionality fuels that to which we pay attention. So we have to be intentional in order to pay attention to something. Something may capture attention without our permission, but we won't pay attention to it without permission. Did you catch what Solomon said? Let me read it again. Just listen this time. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Do you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about what we choose to pay attention to. Don't look to the right or the left. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Find that thing to which you should pay attention and lock eyes with it. Stare it down. Ignore everything else. Look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. On the back page of your notes, right at the top, we have a statement written. I want you to read this aloud with me, please. It says, I get to choose to what I pay attention, and whatever has my attention will determine my direction, which will in turn determine my destination. So if this is true, and, and, and I believe it is, because we mind it from Scripture, so because this is true, Let me ask you a sincere question. What has your attention these days? What have you locked eyes with? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a career path. Uh, Maybe it's a, a house or a car, some other material belonging. Maybe it's a pastime that you enjoy. Maybe it's a person who's leading you somewhere that you don't really want to go. Or maybe, by God's grace, it's someone who's leading you somewhere where you really need to go. Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it, uh, is it your faith? Is it some kind of accomplishment that you're hoping to achieve? What has your attention these days? Does it deserve your attention? Is it taking you down a path that is leading you towards Jesus? That's making your life better? Is this path you're on, because of this thing to which you're paying attention, going to lead you a place that you hope to end up? Or do you already see signs that maybe something else needs your attention? Remember, that to which you pay attention will determine your direction And that's what determines where you end up. And so one last question before I tag out to you, Pastor Joel. I already asked you what does have your attention. So the follow-up question is, what do you want to have your attention? 
If you could press a button right now and say, the word written on this button, when I press it, that's what's going to have my attention. Everything else is to the right or the left, and I'm not looking there. What would that be? What do you want to have your attention? Or what should have my attention? Yeah, absolutely. As a believer, what should have my attention? Pastor Earl and I were discussing this, and he was going to lateral the ball to me and said, I want you to give some practical application of, as believers, what is it that needs to capture our attention? It's a good question. Look at the text that I provided for you, Hebrews chapter 12. Pastor Earl suggested a number of texts, and this is the one that caught my eye. Let me read it to you. We don't know who the author of the epistle to the Hebrews was, Some people believe it may have been the Apostle Paul. We don't know. But nevertheless, the writer says, Therefore, in other words, based upon all 11 chapters he had written so far, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let me make a few comments about that verse before I head to the next one. A lot of people believe that because of this verse, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, think that people who have gone to heaven are up in heaven watching us. They are witnessing, in other words, uh, they're like spectators in the arena watching us run the race. My, my dad, who's passed away, is up in heaven watching me, based on this verse. Let me tell you, that's not what the verse means. There's no indication in the Bible that our loved ones, or people up in heaven, the Apostle Paul, or Peter, or Noah, are watching what we're doing on earth. What that means in verse 1 is, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's referring to chapter 11 the Hall of Fame of Faith, all the great people of faith, they were witnesses of the Lord's goodness. They were witnesses of God. Not that they were witnessing what we're doing, but they were witnessing what God has done in their life. They were witnesses for the Lord. That's what it means. Now look at the next verse. Let us what? Same verb that Pastor Earl mentioned earlier in the Proverbs that Solomon used. Except this is in Greek, that was in Hebrew. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. By the way, that's a command. That's what we should be giving our attention to. $65,000 question is, how do we do that? What does that mean? I mean, you and I can go, yep, that's right. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. How do you do that? Well, having just come from the Holy Land, a week ago this morning we were in Jerusalem, people in the Holy Land have interpreted that by making icons. The Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, makes icons. What's an icon? That's those pictures that you see of the Virgin Mary or of Jesus or of St. Augustine. And what they've done, they have hung these as shrines in all the holy places. I warned people before we went, when you get to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where Calvary as well as the tomb is, when you get to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And many of them were. You want to know why? They've turned it into a shrine. 
And all around these things, you see these icons that people look at these icons. That's how we fix our eyes on Jesus. Your Roman Catholic background, you, there's a crucifix. You go to every Catholic church. That's how they interpret. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, if you're not careful, that comes, suddenly becomes idol worship. Is that what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about? That we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You need to have a cross in your living room or a picture of Jesus on your wall. That obviously is not what it means. So what does verse 2 mean? I'd like to suggest to you that the passage itself indicates this is how we fix our eyes on Jesus. Stay with me. Watch. Number one, jot it in. By, one way we fix our eyes on Jesus is by recognizing the cross of Christ is central to who we are. Look at the text in verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Watch the very next thing he talks about. Who for the joy set before him endured what? Notice how he goes into extensive detail about the cross. Apparently, one of the ways I fix my eyes on Jesus as a Christian is I've got to maintain the centrality of the cross of Jesus. Now let me tell you, for most of my Christian life, I haven't done this. It's only been in the last six, seven, eight years that I'm beginning to appreciate this. This is how I live my Christian life. See if this doesn't sound familiar. I pray the prayer to receive Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I ask him to become my Savior and Lord. Most of us have done that. And then what I did for most of my Christian life is that I read the Bible and tried to do what the Bible said. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes I did well. Most of the times I don't do so hot. And so I try harder. You see, the problem with that kind of theology, and there is a place for obedience to the Scriptures, certainly in the Bible. But the problem is that Jesus didn't save you so that you can try harder to be more like him. The cross, I need to keep the cross central because, beloved, I can't live the Christian life on my own. It says, I was just thinking this morning as we were worshiping, I picked up my cell phone. Listen to Colossians 2, 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. I came to Christ at conversion by focusing on the cross. That's how I need to continue to live my life. I can't do it on my own. You weren't just saved to try really hard to be a good person. I need to remember I can't do this by myself, and so I need, I need to continue to preach the gospel to myself every day. I need to be reminded of his grace and of his forgiveness and of his mercy. Just from the last few days, I kind of messed up and screwed up and dropped the ball and sinned again like I do every day. So what do you do when you do that? You feel badly, you feel guilty, you feel ashamed of yourself. The cross of Jesus tells me God's not up in heaven going, what'd you do that for? You knucklehead, stop doing that, try harder. No, no, no. The cross of Jesus says, you know what? I died for you because of stuff like that. And he comes alongside of me, not to wrap my knuckles with a ruler, but to put his arm around me and say, you know what? That's why I died for you, buddy. 
let's go. I'm going to forgive you as you confess your sins, and I'm going to walk with you and help you. Think about this. The centrality of the cross needs to remain the priority. Is that the priority in your Christian walk? I tell you what, I am learning so much. Isn't it interesting? Look at verse 2. Jesus is not only the author of our faith, when you came to Christ at conversion, but he's also, what's the next word? What that means is he just didn't author your conversion. He just didn't author your salvation. He is continuing to perfect you as you continue to grow in Christ. And that's the gospel. The cross has got to be just as important to me today as it was the day I I, I became a believer. I think that's part of what that means. Number two, if you're jotting in notes, one of the ways I remain, I fix my eyes on Jesus, look at the screen, number two, by remaining in God's word as my guide. Notice it says in this passage, Let's back up to verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race, what? Marked out for us. In other words, the Word of God is what establishes the boundaries. Remember a few years ago? What was her name? Renee Ruiz or something like that, that, that she cheated in the Boston Marathon. What she did is that she started the race went a mile or two, get this, hopped on a bus, got about two miles from the finish line, got off the bus, jumped back in the race, and she finished in record time. And people were saying, that was amazing. She said all kinds of, well, you know what, they found out later because of video camera, she cheated. She didn't run the race that was marked out. And by the way, they have checkpoints now. You can't do that. It's not fair. See? How do I know how the checkpoints, how the race is marked out? That's an external issue. How do I know that I'm bumping against the curb or I'm staying on or off course? There it is right there. God's Word. Notice, secondly, in this same verse, look at verse 1 again. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You see, it's one thing for me to follow the rules of of the, the path of the race, the course of the Boston Marathon. This first issue, though, throw off everything that hinders you, that's an internal issue. The external issue is what is the route of the of the Boston Marathon? How am I how am I supposed to run that? But the first issue in that verse says, I have a responsibility, intentionality, Pastor Earl. I've got this responsibility to throw off things that entangle me. I remember when the very first night we were in the Holy Land in Israel this past week, we stayed at a place up on the coast, beautiful hotel, a place called Netanya. And Judy and I, we got there, this beautiful Ramad Inn. Beautiful. I mean, five stars in the U.S. Those of you who are with us know what I'm talking about. Every room had this balcony. We, Judy and I could go out in this balcony, and we're looking across Tel Aviv to the south, Haifa to the north. We're looking at the Mediterranean Sea. Just beautiful. Well, down there, and some of the people in our group took walks. Down there, I saw this, this lady, 
jogging along the Mediterranean Sea, and as she was jogging, she had weights, these big old honking weights in each of her hands. So there she is running, and I understand and she was doing one of these deals. You know, and I get that. You would never do that to run a marathon competitively. You would throw off those weights, say, man, you know what? This is slowing me down. This is hindering. I, I know why she was doing it. But how many times in the Christian life do I find myself trying to run the race and I'm carrying these stupid weights? Discouragement, depression, a critical spirit, anger, unforgiveness. And I'm just, man, man, it's just so hard to run with. The writer says you need to get keep dealing with those issues. And once again, the Lord will help me do that. The gospel says he will help me do that. It's interesting that this writer, as well as the apostle Paul, will use the image of a runner. That's the image that's used in this chapter. Interestingly enough, those of us who just got back, we were up on the coast at Caesarea Maritima, where Herod Antipas, this is the guy that was eaten by worms and who basically held, put the Apostle Paul on trial, he had built this harbor along the coast and decided that the Olympic Games were already happening. He was going to have his own set of games. Nobody came. And so he thought, you know what? I'm going to up the ante rather than just giving laurel leaves to winners I'm going to up the ante and make people attend my games at Caesarea Maritima. So you know what Herod Antipas did? First place, I'm going to offer gold. Second place, I'm going to offer silver. Third place, I'm going to offer, offer bronze. Does that ring a familiar tone to it? You know where that originated from? Herod Antipas in the New Testament, Caesarea Maritima. This whole idea of running the race, it is pictured here and the word of God is key to that. Thirdly, on our screen, please, I need to remember to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to remember that my heavenly Father will help me to finish the course. Where am I getting that in the passage? Notice carefully in Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who not only authored your salvation, but is perfecting your salvation, who for the joy set before him, what's that mean? That sounds like lots of fun to get nailed to a cross. He was anticipating his glorification after the cross. The joy that would eventually happen, notice postpone gratification, endured, interesting verb, the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down where? Isn't it interesting how he connects this idea with what Jesus did on the cross, enduring it with his relationship with his Father? I need to remember that God is not up, God the Father is not up in heaven mad at me. If that was the case, he would be mad at me all the time. Because I'm a clobberhead. I always sin. I always make mistakes. I get so frustrated with myself. 
And so what happens when I sin, I feel guilty, I feel shame, I don't, I don't want to pray, I don't want to read the Bible because I don't feel worthy. Does that sound familiar? Congratulations, you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. That's what grace is about. Once again, that's why my Heavenly Father says, you know what, I'm going to help you. And he comes along and helps me to not only run the race, but ultimately to finish the race. And those of us who remember, I watched this live back in 1992. Barcelona Olympics. See how many of you remember watching this happen as NBC Sports reported this particular event live. I want you to take a peek. I tell you what, every time I see that video, I get a lump in my throat because that's my biography. Trying to run the race marked out, and I tell you what, I mess up. I pull up lame. I can't do it. And, but I know God wants me to finish. And isn't it good news that my heavenly Father comes along next to me and says, you know what? I'm going to be here for you. And you lean on me, and I'm going to get you across the finish line. What a wonderful reminder, beloved, that we have a Father in heaven who's on our side. And that as we fix our eyes on Jesus by remembering the gospel and the cross, as we continue to stay centered on the word of God, and as we remember this video and remember God the Father, he's on your side, and he wants you to finish, and he's going to help you every step of the way. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and pray with me right now. Father, we thank you that you have called us to this path. And Lord, for many of us, you've saved us, but you don't leave us alone. You've provided the Holy Spirit to help us. I pray that we may keep your cross central, that not only were we converted by the cross, but every day, Lord, Help me remember the gospel and grace and mercy because of your cross. Help me to keep immersed in your word so that I can throw off the sins that so easily entangle with your help and that I can know what's right and what's wrong and not get out of my lane. And Lord, when I pull up lane, and when I struggle and sin and fail, help me to remember, Lord, that you come up next to me. That Heavenly Father, you put your arm around me and said, you know what, we're going to finish this together. Thank you, Lord, for this vivid reminder. Thank you for Pastor Earl and this series. And continue to keep working in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand so we can bless one another and be dismissed? <clears throat> May you fix your eyes on Jesus. May you not grow weary and lose heart. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.